You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number three. Today we're discussing translating Chi languages to patients. We're going to share with you some of our favorite metaphors and patient friendly explanations for acupuncture and Chinese medicine. I'm Fee Gitchum. And I'm Claire Pyers. Welcome to the Heavenly Chi Podcast. We're so happy to have you with us. The Heavenly Chi Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. Hi everyone, I'm Claire Pyers and I'm here today with Fee Gitchum and we are talking about translating Qi languages to patients. Hello. So welcome everyone. I think today this is a, um, we're going to have a bit of fun with this topic. Um, It's a topic that all of us come up against in clinic every day. Uh, where we have questions from our patients. You know, what's wrong with me? What are you looking for? What do you mean when you say chi? What do you mean when you say damp, phlegm? You know, what are you feeling on my pulse? These are all questions that I think um, we each have our own unique ways of answering them, and I think it's always a little bit of fun to hear what other people, what other people have to say. So we'd love to hear from you. If you can add your comments or feedback onto our Facebook page, we'd love to get a discussion going on what your favourite metaphors are when you're translating Qi languages to patients. So let's get on with the show. I've heard some really good ones in my time and I think my favourite starts with, so what does the acupuncture do? (laughs) And then you have to try and give them a fairly brief answer because usually that question for me comes when I'm about to needle them and I actually want to try and wind up the talking so that they can go within and be restful. Um, What do you say to that one? I I find that one a particularly challenging one because I feel like I feel like I've got to try and summarise you know, my four years of study, my 10 years in clinic, uh, you know, I've got to try and summarise that into a one-sentence or a two-sentence answer that's going to give them an understanding of what I'm trying to do and what they're actually, you know, trying to experience. And and I actually, with that particular question, I always um, return with a question, what sort of answer are you looking for? And I ask them, you know, <laughs> do you want the Chinese medicine answer? Do you want the, you know, the scientific medical answer, or do you want the Claire Pye's answer? And you know, a lot of the, I, I probably get equal thirds of, you know, the type mm. of responses that people are looking for, and then that helps me to refine what I say to them. Mm, I'd like to hear all three answers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think when, you know, and someone, if someone wants the Chinese medicine answer, then, you know, I talk about um, how, you know, that we're looking, you know, we, we're talking about yin and yang and I give them a brief explanation of what yin and yang is and most people have heard those terms and so 
just clarifying what I mean when I say yin and yang and then giving um, giving an explanation of how, you know, when someone's unwell that there's an imbalance between yin and yang and there's a disharmony in the body and that the acupuncture is attempting to restore harmony and the different points have different actions and they have different actions again when they're used in certain combinations and so I I try to find the best combination to bring their body back into balance and usually you know I'm saying this whilst I'm feeling their pulse and I'm checking their tongue and so I'm verifying as I'm going along that I am having an effect on removing the disharmony and they they kind of get an experience of that. I have the um, well. We should probably listen to your other other answers yet, but it's just bringing me to realize that I have the. Do you want a visual explanation or do you want an audio, uh, a musician's explanation? <laughs> but let's come back to those. Let's listen to the Claire Pyers. What's the Claire Pyers explanation? Yeah. So someone asked for the scientific. Oh, the the, the Claire Pyers explanation. Um, then what they're getting is all of the effects of all of the, um, you know, the fact that I've, before coming to Chinese medicine, I studied chemical engineering, so they get a pragmatic engineer's problem-solving approach and that I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily hung up on the theory or the why or the how. I'm interested in what the outcome is and that they've come to me to solve a particular problem and if I put a needle in a particular place and it solves the problem then sometimes I don't even know how that works and so you know there's a bit of um, the answer can change depending on who the person is mm. and how I'm feeling on the day but it's it's generally around that type of that type of idea mm. that um, you know that I'm much more of a pragmatic and results oriented practitioner than someone who's interested in having a solid understanding and being right. Mm. Mm. If if someone asks for a scientific answer, then, you know, then I say, well, every time they study, you know, they do a study to see, you know, does acupuncture have an effect on this neurotransmitter or this enzyme or this process in the body, they find that, oh, wow, it does. And so, you know, there's still a lot that we don't know about how acupuncture works. They know that it does work and it has, you know, far-reaching effects. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's the type of answer that I give. And, and usually that then leads to further refining of the patient's questions and, you yeah, know, and a nice discussion follows. How about you, Faith? Well, the the visual explanation I probably use the most and um, it has to do with I basically say, okay, so imagine that you are looking at the roadmap of a city and there's traffic flow and this city is your body and there is an optimal type of traffic flow, density of traffic in cars and everything. And, you know, where there's blockages, this is a traffic jam. Um, but I'm also overlaying over it different type of weather patterns that I want. And we would kind of want, you know, fairly good balance of humidity and blue sky sunshine and <laughs> we don't want too much dryness. We want really perfect weather and we want really uh, easeful traffic flow with enough traffic in certain places so they're not empty and no traffic jams. 
Um, and so all the acupuncture points for me are kind of like controlling the weather and the traffic lights. And so, you know, we're going to, you know, change this red light here where you've got pain to green so that energy can move along. <laughs> and I use this, this traffic metaphor. Um, but then every now and then I get someone who's really musical on audio and that inspires me because I have a background in music and it reminds me of my actual application for the Chinese medicine degree um, where I had to write what my understanding of acupuncture was to get an interview to see if I got into the course. And uh, I wrote that it was like tuning up a stringed instrument. So the body is like a stringed instrument. Um, and we use the points to tune it up so that each string is in harmony with the other strings and they all have different notes or different functions. Uh, so that was more so a, a, an audio idea of the channel, uh, whereas I think the traffic lights is more so visual to do with the points um, and stagnation. But, yeah, I tend to use both of those. <laughs> I really like I really like the idea of a city a cityscape and you know and the fact that you bring climate into it as well because I think that that allows for a really natural progression into discussing how our external environment and the weather that we have you know in in our daily lives and how that can affect our health I think that mm. patients could definitely become that they could definitely allow that to be part of their understanding of what's happening in their body. Yeah, I remember a patient comes to mind that had a lot of edema in the lower part, the legs, and um, but thirst and, and dry skin on the face. And so we had a few discussions. They were a water element type of patient, and we had a few discussions about how the water element needed to distribute the water a little more friendly, a little more evenly. And um, not stir at all in the legs, and and we had that, and I and so the patient actually said back to me, I think something like, so it's always raining in my ankles, and there's a drought in my head. Is that what you're saying? And I was like, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so from then on, when they'd come back in each week, you'd get their weather report because this was a fun patient. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's cool. Yeah, one of the um, I like. I think that um, people respond really well to to stories. I think that it taps into a really primitive and ancient part of, of the mind where really, you know, we're storytellers and we have been for many, many tens of thousands of years. And so if I have a story that I can relate to a patient, then I'd like to bring that in. Um, there is a particular Australian Aboriginal story that comes to mind when we're talking about the distribution of fluids and dampness, and I sometimes bring this up with my patients. Um, some of the listeners may be aware of this story. It's about a giant frog called Tiddalik. And Tiddalik, I haven't heard of Tiddalik since primary school. Yeah, and so Tiddalik was, I mean, the long and the short of it was is this really, um, you know, this really thirsty frog who drank all of the water and, and, um, and basically there was no water left for anyone else to drink. And so everyone was thirsty and they were all trying to coax him out, you know, into releasing some of the water for them. Um, and, and the cure eventually was to, um, was to make Tiddalik laugh. And when he laughed, he, you know, his roars of laughter allowed the rain to come, uh, allowed the water to come pouring out and to fill up the, 
the rivers and the ponds and the streams and the lakes again. And um, and I always find that to be a nice a nice story to relate to patients. And you know, you can have a bit of a giggle and it, particularly if there's if they have a heart a heart imbalance or you know something going on in their in their fire element, I think that's a nice one to bring in. Nice. Is that when the pain of needling their heart points can <laughs> make them laugh? Oh, that's good. <laughs> Distributing the water again. How do you, uh, so what, what kinds of, how do you explain, you know, what chi, what's chi? I'm kind of curious about acupuncture, but what is chi? If someone says to me, what's chi, I will say to them, you know what, you could write a whole book. You know, people have written entire theses on what is chi. And, you know, I tell them that a lot of people translate it as energy and that that's, you know, it can be a useful way to think of chi. Um, but then I also give a little bit of an insight into how chi Qi really, like when we're using it as a Chinese medicine practitioner, we're also talking about function. So if we're talking about your lung qi or your spleen qi or your kidney qi, we're talking about the function that the lung is supposed to supposed to perform and is the lung performing its function properly. And if it is, then the lung qi is good. And if it's not, then the lung qi is in some way either or is in some way not performing properly. What about you? What's how do you describe? Well, I go with I go with the energy too, um, but I also try to uh, transmit to them that there's you know there's about twenty seven different types of chi in the body, and um, and what we're looking at is if each type of chi is is doing its its function. Um, Usually, I think times have changed. We're not getting so much what is chi. I'm getting more, um, you know, what is uh, damp heat in the gallbladder. Um, sometimes I offer patients, would you like to hear your Chinese medicine diagnosis? And oh yes, and then you've got well, you've got phlegm blockage in the head, in the gallbladder channels, causing your migraines, or you know, and then um, and then we have a little chat about that um but i think the, the more interesting ones to translate are the ones that are, are difficult or or have a strong meaning in english like damp but a very different meaning in english um so for damp i always like to use the wet towel um which is okay so they're maybe they're telling me they've got this fatigue and they feel hit. i don't know how to describe it i feel like my arms are tired and i say oh so if you were holding a dry towel and then you were holding a wet towel, do you feel like the wet towel, like a lot heavier and drippy? And I say, yeah, I'm the wet towel. <laughs> I like that. I like the wet so towel. The wet, because a wet towel feels so different to hold up than a dry towel. And that's the effort that sort of feels that way in your body if you have that kind of damp in the limbs especially. Yeah. I like to use for damp um, – I'll either use the idea of like trying to wade through a swamp and sometimes um, I use the term cement legs. <laughs> it's like your legs are made of cement and, you know, the amount of effort that that, that, that requires. Mm. I like the towel. I like the wet towel. I'm yeah, or I say that it's, it's like, you know what phlegm is? Phlegm is fairly similar. 
if we're talking about you know lung phlegm, phlegm nodules or, or phlegm growths, we need to explain a little bit. Um, I would say so damp is like pre-phlegm. It's the water that comes before the snot, <laughs> before it's become sticky enough to be snot. And normally by the time it's phlegm, it will occur in the lungs or above, um, or it will form little pockets in your tissues that are like lumps of phlegm or nodules. So different. And then wind is fun. Oh, before we go on yeah, to wind, when, when we're talking about phlegm, particularly if we're talking about nodules or cysts and things like that, I explain it to patients in a, I guess, in, in a different way where I talk about how there's usually when there's phlegm that the body has created like a quarantine zone. And so there's, it's usually stuck emotion of some sort and the body has determined that it's dangerous for the surrounding areas to be exposed to that stuck emotion and so in order to keep the rest of the body safe it um, temporarily contains that emotion within mm -hmm. a ball of phlegm mm -hmm. and so it allows time to come back later on to deal with the emotions and then for the phlegm to release. I think that's the exact etiology of what's going on with people with lipomas. Mm, yeah. Yeah, little packets of padding from the outside world and the appropriate body part. And often it, it, you can trace it back with the patient. They can, you know, they can say, well, you know, it happened after, you know, my sister died and then these lumps came up or, you know, some type of emotion, you know, really strong emotional mm. event or strong emotional time. There is also the, the toxicity that gets quarantined into phlegm nodules. Uh, how do you discuss toxicity? Toxicity, I think if we're talking about toxicity from the Chinese medicine term of toxicity where you've got uh, like a fire poison, um, then I talk about, I think, I don't really... I don't really talk about it that much, but I think, you know, talking about like an out of rate, like a raging out of control bushfire that has, it's, it's like the body's trying to firebomb it. Mm. Um, I think usually if there is a fire poison, there's visible heat and redness and it's quite easy for people to understand cold and heat. Mm. Um, and then, yes, I just have that your immune system is so busily coming to the area to try and dispel the poison aspects that it's it's hot with activity. I think as well, like if someone's got a really, you know, like a, a big boil or a kind of like a, you know, a red hot area of skin, I'll often, you know, touch it or put my hands near it and I'll say, wow, this is really angry. I'm not I'm not inclined to say, wow, this is really hot. I'll I'm more inclined to say, wow, this is really angry and I talk mm. about it from that point of view. Mm. Whether or not whether or not that patient has, you know, disclosed that there's emotion going on, but often that just sort of opens the possibility for further discussion down that line. What's being quarantined? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And wind. I mean, I say wind and people think I'm talking about farting. <laughs> so you've got wind in the blood and 
Um, huh? <laughs> How did I get farts in my blood? Yeah. Yeah, I, t- I talk about wind. I talk about the idea of um, the channels being full of chi and blood. And, um, you know, I make reference sometimes to the, the Yellow Emperor and the the, uh, the Neijing and how it's referred to as long ago as our earliest textbook um, and how that when the channels are not full and that there's emptiness in there, then that allows for the wind to get in mm-hmm. and that, it, you know, it's what causes the symptoms to move around, you know, particularly if, you've, if you're partway through a treatment and you're possibly treating someone for pain and the pain in the original position that they came in for has now cleared it, now they've got pain somewhere else. And that's often when, um, when the discussion of wind will come up. Mm. Of you know they'll they'll sometimes feel uncertain or unsure of like oh uh, you know sometimes they feel a bit embarrassed like oh the pain's actually moved now or it's in a different location I'll go great you know if we can move it we can get rid of it this is what it means and um, I think they feel a bit of reassurance mm. with that. Well, they probably get quite a different response from a different type of practitioner. Um, I guess sometimes they're concerned that they're saying that their pain wasn't real because it's moved and so wind is the, the wandering that arises in the gaps. So we need to replenish those empty areas um, to expel the wind. What about yin, yin deficiency? Do you have any particular? Yeah, I use my hands, so the listeners will have to imagine this. I look at two, you've got two volume levels, and they should be fairly even, and there's your yin and your yang. Um, And your body likes to have them in certain amounts. And so when one of them is lower, and I lower one of the hands, and that's the yin hand in this example, uh, when the yin is lower, um, it appears as though there's too much yang. So this is when we're looking at empty heat or that kind of yang rising because it's not anchored by the yin. Um, but what's really going on is that there's not enough yin, so we need an equal amount of fire and water to attain the correct temperature and the correct level of moisture or dryness. So we don't want to be soggy humans, but we don't want to be dry, cracked, peeling humans. So usually between the fire and the water and understanding that we need a bit of both to be at in the middle where we are, that we're not a zero point, we're actually a combination of a fullness of both. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise we'll be too hot or we'll be too cold or yeah, too wet or too, too dry. <coughs> what about you for yin deficiency? For me with yin deficiency, I use the analogy of it's like running your car without any oil in the engine. There's a lot of, uh, there's not enough lubrication and so um, very quickly there's a lot of heat and a lot of friction that comes into play and it overheats your engine really quickly and, um, you know, you can you can stop the car and then the temperature can drop really quickly but as soon as you hit the road again and so it, and that's how I explain the, sometimes the volatility of the symptoms. Um, that you can get with yin deficiency. It's not constant heat, but it's more sort of like heat mm. at the end of the day, you know, certain times of the day and, and so forth. But, yeah, that, 
particularly for um, for people who, for older people who've got experiences of the, you know, the cars of yesteryear that required a little bit more care and attention than modern day cars where you actually had to know how to check your oil and, yeah. you know, possibly um, had a bit more involvement in the workings of your car. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's not so much with younger with younger people. Mm. Um, but that's quite a good image though with yin being the essence and uh, the sort of the the lubricating function whereas yang being the movement. So yang is the blah, 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 blah of the engine, <laughs> the happening, the wheels turning. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, links me to stagnation. Yeah. So with stagnation, one of my favourite um, metaphors is using the like using the analogy of the river and so I talk to people you know imagine that your energy is like a river and it's meant to flow and it's meant to be you know nice and peaceful and there's two main reasons why your river may not be flowing reason number one is that there's a whole bunch of stuff there's a whole bunch of debris that's blocking the river and it all gets backed up behind where that blockage is and so we remove the blockage and the river flows again Reason number two is that your river is not flowing because there's not enough water in it. Mm. And so people who are depleted, people who are run down, and it might be chi or blood, stagnation or a combination of both, um, and that the the solution is to fill up the river again. Mm. I usually find it's there's definitely a lot more deficiency in the patients we see here in Melbourne where it's cold than in uh, than excess stagnation. Um, but yeah, I thought of the link from um, to stagnation from the yin deficiency when you mentioned the volatility, because I have one for when people have, and I, I explain the river and the dam wall. And um, sometimes when you're unblocking a stagnation, there's a temporary moment um, where the pain or the sensation of stagnation builds up before it knocks it over. And I say, well, imagine, you know, you've got a dam wall here and we're getting the river to flow behind it to join up and the, ult the ultimate would be to not have a dam wall. How much pressure has to build up on that wall before it knocks it over? Um, so that's when we've got more of a full stagnation there. We've, we've already or we've filled up the water and then whoosh. We can knock it down, and sometimes I find that will happen over a two-minute period. We're doing acupuncture where, you know, oh, it filled up. Oh, oh, that's better. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. And they want to know what happened or what what that was. Yeah. So what? So um, now that we're talking more about um, some of the experiences that patients have within the treatment, what, like, how do you? explain some of the sensations that people might be feeling when you're doing cupping or gua sha like what what are you doing to me what should i be feeling yeah i like uh, the the palpation technique of giving people thermal experiences whereby one part of their body might be colder than the other they don't feel it if you say is your belly cold i don't know i just feel warm all over but I hate the cold. And then you put one of your hands on the belly and one of your hands somewhere else. And you'll feel the difference through your palm, say the belly's cold, and then ask them, which one of my hands is warmer? And they'll say, oh, the one that's on my belly. And I'll say, well, actually, my hands are the same. 
but your belly's colder. And then when we get to cupping or the gua sha, um, especially with the cupping or gua sha on the upper back or cupping on the belly, often the cold will come out the belly and the heat will come out the upper back. Um, obviously there can be variations on that, but they're the most common patterns I'm seeing. And so the person is then, I'll say, well, you know, we're, we're doing the cupping, we're drawing out what's there that your body doesn't want to be there, whatever's blocking it, and we're going to draw fresh fluids into those muscles so we're like getting a fresh flow into that river. Um, and after I cup, you might feel the heat there. Does your back feel hot? You take the cup off. Oh, look, does your back feel hot? Yes, it feels really warm. What's that? Well, that's the, the heat uh, coming out and your body will vent that. So, you know, protect your skin from the sun in the next two days because it's open, it's venting. Um, and that will help your body to adjust the thermal balance because it will reset the grid lines of that city where there was heat affecting one area, you know, so it will cause that reset. Um, what about you with the gua sha? For me, with, with gua sha, I talk about the idea of um, venting out and releasing evil chi from the mm -hmm. skin. And um, I find that the younger the patient, the better. Like kids, they know exactly what we mean when we say evil chi. They're like, yep, got it. Um, people who um, sometimes adults need a little bit more coaxing into um, mm. what that might mean. But most people have an idea of like what type of chi might not be useful or might be harmful. And the fact that we can allow that to be released yeah. through the skin by, you know, the fact that gua sha usually for most people feels amazing and mm. so um, I try and use that idea to help their mind to let go of that stagnation or toxicity or whatever it is that might be that might be there waiting to come out. Mm, I love telling people that I'm going to suck the demon out <laughs> and they laugh. Have a little <laughs> exorcism. <laughs> yeah. So all these things, all these problems you're having, um, I'm just going to cup you, and what does cupping do? Well, I just suck the demon out. And sometimes that's enough for people because they know that I'm referring to all the unnameable Chinese medical terms. <laughs> but it will make them feel better. And I like, I like that idea of, um, and I think this is one that I got from you, in fact, when you started working at the clinic and um, if someone had a lot of demons or a lot of, um, you know, a lot of not quite right chi that you would um, burn heaps and heaps and heaps of moxa and that you would, you know, come out come out of the treatment room, the whole clinic just reeks of, you know, there's wafts of moxa smoke around and that you've declared, I've done an exorcism <laughs> on this patient. And so I, I've started using that with my patients sometimes if I need to, you know, if I think that moxa is going to be useful for them. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have a bit of an exorcism here. It's mm -hmm. going to burn a whole lot of moxa and try and get this uh, this bad energy out of your body. I quite like the exorcism analogy for goo syndrome, mm -hmm. which I think we you know we're treating more and more of because of there's a lot there's just so much information coming out about the role of gut bacteria in terms of our uh, brain function and our thoughts and our personality and our emotions and then our gut bacteria involved in our body's capacity to build chi, build blood, um, gather nutrients and send them to wherever they're needed. And, you know, um, 
when I, I tend to, uh, if I'm doing a, a goo cleanse on someone, so basically some kind of parasite or bacterial re-establishment, it starts with killing the bad guys and replenishing the good guys and alternating this until we have balance again. And often I will find out myself sharing with people some of the research about the role that gut bacteria can play in your thoughts and in controlling your mind. And then we talk about, you know, a whole bunch of other things. But within that, understanding that you are not your parasites, um, I know our body apparently our bacteria weighs more than we do if we were to weigh our body without the bacteria and then weigh the bacteria or there's more cells that aren't us yet we're a collective organism here but we still might want to do an exorcism on some of those gangs down there in the <laughs> in the community that are causing havoc mm. yeah how about a tongue or pole what are you looking at on my tongue when someone says to me, "What's you know? What what do you see on my tongue?" I I joke and I say, "I know everything, everything. about it." <laughs> and I, it's a joke, but in in some ways, it's actually true. Um, I think because it's a snapshot into um, into what is happening, and I. So what does it mean? Do you show them the mirror? And the colours and the coating? Sometimes I give them a mirror to look at, um, but a lot of the time I'll just give an indication of, um, you know, that we look at there's different parts of the tongue that reflect different parts of the body and the coating tells us about your digestion because some people, a lot of people brush their tongues mm. and so um, that also gives an opportunity to just check with them that they didn't, Brush their tongue right before they came, um, but yeah, I don't. I don't have any real analogies for for the tongue, other than that, if, you know, it represents mm. the whole body. I tend to pull up a little chart on Google Images that just shows your tongue in Chinese medicine, and it shows about eight different tongues with different colours and different coats, and I just. Show, give them the mirror and say, have a look at that and you watch your tongue get closer to this one and I point to the good one. Yeah. <laughs> Over time, your tongue will get closer to this one. Yeah. And um, what about pulse? Yeah, so pulse for me. What are you feeling on my pulse? Pulse for me is also quite an audio sensation, even though it's a tactile sense. Um, I'm a little bit synesthetic like that. And I remembered when I first learned pulse in first year, I would get a better sensation of the pulse by leaning in and putting my ear and my cheek close to their wrist. So there's something that happens for me where I, I listen to the pulse with my fingers. And um, I can feel uh, like the emotional expression of the organs in the positions. I say, look, I'm taking your pulse in 12 different positions. That reflects all your different organs. It's telling me about your chi and your blood as well. Um, but I'm also listening to the feeling that's coming through from each organ position in your pulse. So, you know, um, your spleen feels the way that it, the way that it pulses to me feels I can feel your worry in it about your upcoming exam or you know um 
So it's very difficult for me to give any metaphor on the pulse other than to tell them what I'm experiencing. I usually stick with that. They find that pretty interesting and we proceed. What about you? Um, often, often I don't get tongue and pulse question at the same time. Um, you know, if someone says, what are you feeling on the pulse, then I might, I might joke again and say, well, it tells me everything about you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I often just give an explanation about how, you know, you feel the pulse in six different positions and, you know, different depths and different levels and just feeling um, where the blockages are in the body. And I'll often um, show them how the different pulse positions reflect the upper, middle and lower parts of the body um, and just give them that kind of basic guideline on, you know, mm. where we're looking for disharmony. I don't go into too much detail though because I find that um, interacting with a patient whilst you're feeling their pulse or before or after taking them, I, I find that it changes the pulse too much. So I try and yeah. keep the conversation really short on that. Mm. That's a good point too. Don't talk while pulsing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I feel like we've covered a lot but I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about. We might do another episode on this but we'd love to hear your feedback and comments about your favourite metaphors or any great explanations you've got uh, for Chinese medicine language. You can do that on our Facebook page. And uh, thanks for joining us today. See you next time. Bye. Bye for now.